Have you ever wondered what it's like to sit in on a magazine editorial meeting? Well, this is your chance. You're listening to Salt Lake Speaks, a monthly podcast where our editors, writers, and staff dig deeper into stories, chat with newsmakers, and talk amongst ourselves about arts, culture, food, music, politics, or whatever else might strike our fancy. After all, we are Utah's biggest fans. Welcome to Salt Lake Speaks, Salt Lake Magazine's own podcast. You can find this and other podcasts at saltlakemagazine.com slash podcasts. I'm Ashley Zanter, the associate editor of Salt Lake Magazine, here today with Dr. Rebecca Barrett-Fox. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So why don't you go ahead and just let our listeners know a little bit about your research and your background. Sure. Well, I'm a, a sociologist, and um, that's the, the field I work in, and um, I'm a professor at Arkansas State University in the sociology department there. And my work uh, is broadly about hate groups and um, and hate more broadly, particularly religious conservatives and the way that religion and hate overlap, which is a big concern for the U.S. and uh, other countries as well, so internationally it's a concern. And my um, first book is on Westboro Baptist Church, which is an anti-gay hate group out of Kansas that a lot of people are familiar with because they travel a lot and um, do a lot of anti-gay picketing, and particularly since the mid-2000s picketing at military funerals. And so some folks have unfortunately encountered them there, um, and I spent years studying that church and, and spending um, a lot of travel time with that church and uh, time in the pew there. And that's what introduced me to, to research on hate groups. And then to I continue that work uh, on a number of projects, including currently a project with the National Institute of Justice, and um, which is a, a federal organization that studies uh, home homegrown white extremism and nationalism. That's what our um, extremist nationalism and uh, violent extremism, and that's a project that I'm continuing to work on. And my my typical um, experience that I bring to those projects is the focus on religion. So uh, just to get a baseline going here for our listeners, what is a hate group? So uh, there's no legal definition of a hate group. There, sometimes you'll see petitions circulating online asking for the government to, to say, a oh, Westboro Baptist Church, let's declare it an officially declared a hate group. There is no legal definition. Um, there is no, in, in the court of law, no um, clear definition of what is a hate group. The definition most people work with is provided to us by the Southern Poverty Law Center, which is an anti-hate organization that's been very effective in leading the charge to, um, to curtail hate activity and um, bring to light the behavior and actions of hate groups. And so that definition says that a hate group is a, a group that uh, disparages or promotes violence against collectives of people against whole categories of people based on some kind of characteristic that we often think of about as immutable like race, nation of origin, uh, religion, disability status, sexuality, things like that. And I think that definition works pretty well to tell us what a, a hate group is. Um, the harder part of the, the talking about hate actually is talking about groups and, and that's because with the internet um, groups no longer have to meet face-to-face -to, -face to be a group. So historically and traditionally in sociology, we say a group are, are people who know each other, have some kind of face-to-face -face interaction, um, see themselves as related to each other. And with the internet, you don't have to have that anymore. In fact, you can even participate in conversations with people using a pseudonym. Um, you can be a member of a hate group and nobody else knows it because you don't have that uh, barrier of having to show up and show your face as part of it. And so calling something a, a 
figuring out what is a group is actually harder, I think, now than, um, than figuring out what is hate. But generally what we mean is where there's a cluster of activity, people who um, share some kind of same ideology, pulling in the same direction, making the same kind of argument, relying on the same kind of logic for why a particular group of people should be disparaged. Okay, so uh, there's been a lot of conversation recently in the news, otherwise internet everywhere, about the recent explosion of hate groups and hate crime. Has there actually been an explosion or are we just paying more attention to it? Is it just getting There is, has been an explosion. Um, we saw it uh, in the early, um, in the 2000s, we saw a similar explosion. Um, the first major online uh, hate hub is um, a website called Stormfront, and it's not just one of the biggest hate websites on the internet. It's actually one of the biggest websites on the internet. And um, it was, and hate groups have were early adopters of of all kinds of media, and that's always been true. So if you go back to the 20s with the KKK. Um, that these are groups that have oftentimes been very effective at using AM radio and um, mass mailing lists and other kinds of technologies, and they got good with it, good at it with the internet too. They they are um, very effective online. And when Barack Obama was first elected president, we saw that the activity on the Stormfront website just explode, um, and that was a reflection that that told us. Um, that there was a lot of latent racism, um, a lot of people who were very anxious and angry about electing an African-American president. And so this current um, growth of hate groups has been long-lasting. Um, it, it's, it's been um, a concern for a long time. And so we, in, we anticipate whenever there's a major social change, like uh, an advancement in African-American rights, in gay rights, um, or social disruption, or a perception of social disruption. So in the 2000s, we saw a lot of hate activity um, around immigrants, and particularly on the U.S.-Mexico border, a number of hate groups that, that came up, um, developed um, around issues of border patrol and militias um, down along the border. So those social upheavals um, are good predictors of a growth in hate, hate groups. Since the um, election, not just the installation of uh, Donald Trump as president, but during the entire election period, we saw more hate group activity. And, and um, a lot of that has been an effort to rebrand hate group activity uh, or hate activity as um, not extremist, but as um, reasonable, as rational. So patriotic. Patriotic, yeah, patriotic. <laughs> and, and that it's justifiable. And so we've s seen um, for about uh, more than 10 years now, hate group leaders um, advocating for more of a uh, respectable hate group uh, approach. So, for example, they'd encourage members not to get face tattoos anymore or not to get tattoos um, of, of their, um, their group like in a place where it would be visible. It doesn't mean you never have them. You could still have them in a place where you could, could signal to somebody else that you're a member of that group, but less visible and to do more infiltration. So become part of mainstream society so you have more influence there. Um, and then to to be uh, kind of respectable, upstanding, um, and to go to places where um, you can make 
they, they think they can make inroads, um, but are respectable places like college campuses. And so that's how we get um, people like Richard Spencer, who's kind of the face of the alt-right, though a lot of people on the alt-right actually don't like Spencer. They, they think he's a, um, a little arrogant. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, that's not even the worst of Richard Spencer's character flaws, but uh, he draws too much negative attention. And so, um, but that effort to transform what it, or really hate groups into the alt-right um, has been deliberate, it's been long-standing, it's strategic, and we can't fall for it. But um, the alt-right is more pleasant to look at than people in, in Klan robes, for example, mm-hmm. or people with swastikas tattooed on their, on their face. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's less dangerous, and um, in fact, it's more dangerous because it looks more innocent and disguises itself as patriotism. That makes sense. So uh, I guess there was a tendency in Utah, at least from my experience, to think of Utah as having this like very uh, hegemonic identity. We're all the same. A lot of people look at Utah and they just assume everyone who lives within the borders of Utah is of this cut from the same cloth, so sure. to speak, right? So do we have hate group problems in Utah or are we sort of exempt from, the, is this an outside problem? Oh, everybody wishes it were an outside problem. <laughs> um, and in fact, when, when we see hate group activity rise or when we see hate crime, so this would be a crime that is um, committed in part or the, where the target of the crime is committed in part uh, or chosen in part or in full because of some identity. So if you, you choose to harm someone in part or in full because of their identity or what you perceive as their identity, that's a hate crime. When hate crimes happen or when hate groups arise, oftentimes our response is to say, but that's not us. That's mm-hmm. some outsider, some lone wolf, some... Bad apple. Bad apple, exactly. And, um, and that's how we do the reporting of those um, crimes oftentimes or those groups oftentimes we say hey not us and um, I'm a, from a small town in Pennsylvania and in May we had um, a cross burning about um, two miles outside of the the town it's the closest town where I grew up it's a rural place so the town is like 1400 people and <laughs> everything around there is unincorporated so this this cross burning was about two miles outside of town on a farm um, which is generally how cross springs occur in rural areas um, for all kinds of reasons. And so um, the police officer, we have one and a half officers in that, my hometown now, and so one of them is the chief, and um, the police chief was asked, well, aren't you going to do anything about this? And the fact is it's not his jurisdiction, it's, it's county jurisdiction. So he really didn't have much to do, could, couldn't do much about it. But his response was so telling, he said, um, well, why would I do anything about that? That's not, that's not, those people aren't from our town. But I can tell you they're from two miles outside of your town. And this town is, it, it's the only place with a grocery store. It's the only place with a high school. So these people are, in fact, part of our town. They just happen to live slightly over the border. And that's very often our response. So we want to say not in Utah. Um, we want to say, no, the people of Utah are good people. We wouldn't do that. And, and I think for the most part, the people of Utah are good people, and they wouldn't do that. But that doesn't mean that um, these uh, quote-unquote bad apples are um, not part of Utah culture and that they're not part of our society because they are. And so, yes, we do have these problems in Utah, absolutely. Utah is more homogenous than other states. We're, on average, whiter than other states. Um, We are, on average, more religiously homogenous, more religiously similar to each other than um, people of other states um, that is not protective, though, against having hate activity. And so we have, um, we do have official hate 
uh, not official, but Southern Poverty Law Center defined hate groups here. Um, and actually in Utah we have some very active hate organizations. And so um, American Vanguard is one. It's a white supremacist organization. Um, has branches all over the U.S. Um, and the Southern Poverty Law Center has defined since 2005 the fundamentalist Latter-day Saint organization as a hate group based on the, the um, church's teaching, the FLDS church's teaching on race and um, particularly its teachings about African Americans which are disparaging and um, disparage an entire class of people. And so those two are both on the Southern Poverty Law Center's hate map, which is an interactive map where you can go and um, see all the hate groups that the Southern Poverty Law Center has defined across the US. But we also have other kinds of hate movements and hate organizations. Um, one is called Act for America. It has branches all across the US, including branches here in uh, Utah, and it's an anti-Muslim organization. A few months ago, it sponsored a number of marches, uh, they call it Marches Against Sharia Law, which are really uh, anti-Muslim marches meant to intimidate and disparage um, Muslim people. And that disparaging, it's real important to notice, these aren't, this isn't about political differences. We could have genuine, um, meaningful differences in the policies uh, that we we promote about things like immigration or about gay marriage. But when we say that they're disparaging a group of people, we mean that they're making that argument based on some kind of inherent inferiority about another group of people. And that's very different than saying we have a policy disagreement. If your policy disagreement comes down to some people are, are subhuman or some people are lesser people, that's when you get to hate. And that's what Act for America does. And unfortunately, it's been very popular in the West. Um, the organization takes credit for the passage of a number of laws that um, limit <laughs> limit, um, well, they say limit Sharia law, it, it's, which is really a, a scare tactic. Uh, Sharia law is not a threat in the U.S. Um, but they have uh, prompted uh, hostility towards Muslim people, um, hostility towards immigrants. Um, and so they've been, unfortunately, measurably effective in promoting anti-Muslim sentiment. That's one. Um, another one, big one out of Utah, it's, is making, oh, individual who's um, involved in hate activity uh, has made national waves is a, a blogger um, out of Utah. She's a white woman and uh, she's LDS, though the LDS church has removed her, her um, details about her from their, like, I am, I am a Mormon um, website because she's really at variance with a lot of LDS teaching. But she, um, she blogs and she tweets under the name Wife with a Purpose, and she's a white nationalist, and she associates her white nationalism with her LDS faith, and she has tens of thousands of followers. I think it's like 22,000 followers now. Um, she's a stay-at-home mother of six children and promotes what she calls traditional family and traditional womanhood. So a lot of what she says it's, is um, misogynistic, it's anti-Muslim, um, and it's a white supremacist. So um, she is very, oh, she also makes a lot of homophobic um, comments, but she really couches it in terms of love of country, love of family, 
um, promoting safety for children and the idea that every culture has a right to protect itself, which on the surface sounds kind of appealing, mm -hmm. right? Um, it almost sounds like diversity, right? Like every culture should be respected, but what she means is that America should be for white people, and that's how we respect culture. And so these groups and these individuals like uh, Wife with a Purpose, when they make these arguments, uh, if you just listen to the surface level of them, they can sound appealing. Um, who doesn't love family? Who doesn't think that we should protect children? Um, those are good things, but when what you end up saying in your conclusion is that's why we shouldn't allow people from other countries to come to the U.S., that's why um, we shouldn't allow people of different races to intermarry, um, that's why people of certain races are inf you know, inferior to white people, that's when we get hate. She's incredibly popular, mm -hmm. and um, her blog is popular, um, her She's, and she's very effective at, at social media. And she's young. You know, these are not old ideas that, um, that people are bringing with them from you know, childhood or uh, memories of segregation. These are, are people who are raised in a much more, if not multicultural, because Utah has some elements of multiculturalism, but again, isn't tremendously diverse. But these are people who grew up in a culture where we think we at least pay lip service to multiculturalism, and they're oftentimes responding to that because they feel threatened, um, because they sense a loss of power, uh, a loss of white supremacy, and they, they don't like it, so they're fighting yeah. back. And it, it, it's hard to say, um, they don't necessarily want to say I'm a white supremacist, so th some of them do, and we'll say that, but if they say I'm fighting for our children, I'm fighting for our country, I'm fighting for our faith, again, that's an appeal to things that are positive. And we all know what our means. Like, yes. In that case, it's all contextual. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's easier in, it is easier in Utah. I think that actually that makes Utah more vulnerable. The homogeny makes us more vulnerable because mm -hmm. we assume that we do have a set of shared common experiences, and that's not always true. And when we assume that, we, we also then make it more uncomfortable for people who don't fit into our stereotype of what a person from Utah is like, and, um, and that harms us. So if we look at a place and we say, oh, it's, it, there's so much homogeny, people are so much alike, there must not be very much hate activity. In fact, it's very much the reverse. Okay. And so, and if you look at patterns of, of activity across the U.S., a lot of activity happens in places where there's relatively little diversity. So Idaho has a lot of hate activity. Montana has a lot of hate activity. These are not places that are tremendously diverse. And in fact, on the interpersonal level, we know that the more relationships you have with people who are unlike you, the lower your, um, uh, the, 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 more resistant you are to hate groups. And that's not true in every case, but generally, once we get to know people who are different from us, it's harder to hate them. Well, and it's funny that you listed Idaho and Montana, because usually when we think about hate groups, we just all immediately think of the South. Oh. Like, that's a Southern problem. It's not, it's not <laughs> a Western problem. Oh, no, it's very much a Western problem. And hate, group, hate groups have targeted the West um, for strategic reasons. So there's a lot of hate group activity in Oregon. Um, there's demographic reasons for this. Uh, there have been long-standing efforts to um, create a separate white state, um, whether through... That's very Handmaid's Tale. Oh, it is. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Um, so there, there's this effort to create a white ethno-state within the U.S., uh, you know, ideally in the, in the dream world for these groups, going up to a race war and secession of white states. Um, and there are projects, efforts to do this in South Carolina, there are efforts to do this in other parts of the state, but one place that comes up a lot is Oregon. 
because it's very white already. Mm -hmm. So if you were going to pioneer a white state, you'd pick a place where there's already mostly white people. It. So it's much harder to set up an all-white state in Arkansas or mm -hmm. Texas or Louisiana because there is a higher rate of black people there. And so if you want white supremacy, you go to Idaho. Uh, you go to um, Oregon if you want to set up a, a white, an event, eventual white state. And um, these places are also relatively re remote. Um, mm -hmm. So there are also places where there's white supremacist training camps. And those happen other places in the US too, but Idaho in particular has seen a lot of activity for people going up, uh, particularly in the 90s and learning how to you know, do survivalism projects or you know, learning how to be a white supremacist um, can happen in those places, sometimes easier than it can in, in the South. The other part of the US that has a lot of hate group activity is actually Appalachia, which is less racially diverse than the South, but um, historically has been a place of a lot of hate group activity. Um, we think of the South um, as having hate group problems in it. It absolutely does. Um, the KKK was founded originally in Tennessee, but during its heyday, when the Klan was most popular in the 1920s, um, as a response to immigration, increasing number of Catholics, increasing number of Jews, increasing um, rights for African Americans and African Americans using the rights that they, in fact, had, um, the center of Klan activity was in Indiana. It was that was the headquarters was. Indiana. So that's that's not the not South. Tennessee. Not no. Tennessee. <laughs> um, and so yeah, it, it's it's again it's tempting to look at other parts of the country and say not Utah, not the West. You know, the West is about free spirits and independence mm -hmm. and people minding their own business. And well, and you think of California, the biggest blue state on the map. Absolutely. So. Yeah. And um, but California has a lot of hate mm -hmm. activity. I believe it. Yeah. Yeah. So in an effort to not end this on such a sort of depressing <laughs> note, sure. right, um, and to help our listeners out a little bit. Um, what kind of advice would you give to Utahns if we, if you wanted, they wanted to start combating some of these, this hate activity in our own state? Sure. Um, hate recruiters, um, when they come to your town, they're seldom going to show up wearing robes. They're going to show up in two ways. They're going to show up making what sound like reasonable arguments about safety and security, and um, and protecting things that we should value. Like I said family, religion. Um, and so when you hear those appeals, listen with a, a very critical ear and um, push a little bit farther to see if the logic behind those arguments is a hate logic. Again, we can have differences in opinion about policy. We can reach different uh, conclusions about what, how we should act. But if, if how you're acting and the policies you're supporting are rooted in hate logic, then you have an obligation to call out the people who are making those ar arguments and um, to find <laughs> uh, find people who are going to solve the problems that you care about, um, not through hate logic. And um, sometimes that means taking a hard look at the people you've been voting for, the people you've been listening to on the radio, and, um, and making different choices. The other way that hate recruiters will come to town is they'll come in and um, commit an act of vandalism. So maybe they'll spray paint a swastika on, um, on a Jewish synagogue. And if nobody responds, then they know that, or if nobody responds, or if only the Jewish people in the community respond, then they know that the community is fractured, that the community is willing to tolerate a certain amount of hate as long as it doesn't target 
people in power, as long as it targets people who are a minority. And so if something like that happens, an entire community has to respond swiftly, very clearly, and send a signal that hate is not welcome and in any form against any person. And when, when you send that signal to hate group recruiters, they get out of town, they, they move on. If you let them know that you're willing to put up with a little bit of hate, then they'll come and they'll stay and they'll find the people who um, are gonna buy that argument. And so on both fronts, um, kind of the more explicit front, as well as the quieter front, the, the, um, this kind of respectable approach, you just be cautious, um, use your vote wisely, um, be thoughtful of and critical about what kind of media you're consuming, who are you reading, what websites are you going to, and let the people who um, are making those arguments know it's not acceptable to you. Well, there you go. There's your call to action, everybody. So uh, that was Dr. Rebecca Barrett-Fox. She was sitting down talking about her research on hate groups, especially hate groups in Utah. Thank you for sitting down with us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so this has been Salt Lake Speaks, Salt Lake Magazine's own podcast. You can find this and other podcasts at saltlakemagazine.com slash podcasts.